the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Hello, everybody. Ron Geyer with End Time Insights. Thanks again for listening. We love doing this. We say that all the time, and we're privileged to be here on the radio telling you what God would have us tell you. And this time, we're still talking about the churches in the book of Revelation. We're doing the fifth church, which is called the Church at Sardis. We started it last week, and I should be able to finish it today. There's only six verses in Revelation 3. Uh, verses 1 through 6. I'll read them quickly again for you. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis, right? Remember, this was the dead church. These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, and thou hast a name that thou livest and are dead. Verse 2, be watchful and strengthen the things which do remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Verse 3, remember therefore This is where we're going to pick up today. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If, therefore, thou shalt not watch, I will come unto thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know at what hour I will come upon thee. Verse 4, thou hast a few names even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. 5, he that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Verse 6. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So we got through the first two verses last week. Very important. They were talking about the fact that uh, Jesus had nothing good to say about this church. This is the only church that he has nothing good to say about. And so we left off where Jesus was telling them uh, that they needed to strengthen the good stuff that was remaining that were ready to die. So you've got some good stuff left. You are dead. You have a name that you're alive, but you are dead. But there's still some good stuff in there. And I want you to hold on to that. I want you to strengthen it because that too is about to die. Verse 3. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. This is great. Uh, I'm going to focus on the word remember. It is so important. It's not what you think it is. Remember and it's Actually, the translation for remember is grave. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is saying remember, and the Greek word, the meaning of it in in its proper usage is really grave. And so it's, let me see if I can get this right, memonueo, I think I got it right, memonueo, which literally means grave. It's it's like a memorial or a, a tombstone, a statue, a monument, a marker on a grave, and it means to, to call to remind, to recollect or to memorialize someone or something, basically what he is saying is, I want you to resurrect. I want you to resurrect the things that you received and the things that you heard, and then I want you to hold fast. Basically, Jesus has the solution for this church. 
He knows how to keep those things alive which are about to die. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard. Notice, he didn't say, remember what you received. He goes, I want you to remember how you received it and how you heard it. Jesus is telling them, get in the grave, dig up the memorial of your mind, dig up those memories, resurrect those things which you have let slide. Recall what went on first. Remember your victories. Remember your passion. Mark them in your mind. Place them as monuments in your heart. Put them on the mantle of your mind and never forget them. Then I want you not just to remember what you received and what you heard, but you must remember how you received it and how you heard it. I find that fascinating. And the Lord gave me a remembrance of something Diane and I used to do when we got saved back in 1981. We used to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And so working, building a business during the middle of the week, Wednesday nights was tough sometimes. So what we did, we got back to church Wednesday night. That was the what but how we did it is what Jesus says, I want you to dig up, I want you to, I want you to resurrect that. And the how that we did it is we would fast every Wednesday night, so that every Wednesday, all day. We wouldn't eat so that we would remain kind of like in the spirit, more spiritual. You know, you fast and you crucify the flesh and then you go ahead and you are accenting the things of the spirit. We would both fast all day until church time. We'd go to church, we came home and then we'd pig out. But that was the idea behind it. We remembered not what, the what was going, but how did we get there? We fasted. That's what Jesus is telling them to do. I want you to dig this memory up and I want you to put it where it can be memorialized. Remember the Jewish children, they crossed over the Jordan and Jesus said, hey, I want you to put a cairn of stones. I want you to build an altar and I want you to bring your children back here once a year. And I want you to tell them not necessarily what happened, but how God delivered the Israelites from the hand of the Egyptians. And so it's that kind of memory, the how that Jesus is telling them to help them overcome and to keep and strengthen the things that are left that are about to die. Remember what your hearts were like, he says. Remember your mindset. Remember the motivation that caused you to make such wise decisions in the past. In the same manner in which I examine my church, examine your hearts and find me there once more. I love it. And then once you do that, I want you to hold fast and repent. After you resurrect these works, after you resurrect the process for success that you've had in the past, hold tightly with a masterful grip. The word there is hold tereo in the Greek, and it means to grip something tightly with a masterful, strong grip of strength. It pictures something to be guarded by like a group of soldiers or something surrounding it because it's precious and they are committed to its safety. Then repent for what? For failing to guard it in the first place. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know at what hour I will come upon thee. If you refuse to obey me, Jesus is saying, then what? Jesus himself says, I will come upon you as a thief. And it's interesting because he's telling them right there that I want you to watch because you're about to lose this. I've told you how to fix it. I've told you how to resurrect it. I've told you how to make sure it's got life. Now I want you to guard it and I want you to watch it. If you don't, I'm going to come and you're not going to recognize me. And it's not going to be because Jesus is in disguise. It's not going to be because Jesus is sneaking around. It's going to be because they will not recognize him anymore because they're blind. It's not that he's tricking them. Their hearts are hardened. Their minds are closed. Their eyes are shut. And it's important. And I'm thinking about the rapture of the church as we talk about this. You know, many people, 
think that the rapture of the church is just a nice story. Many of them think it's decades and decades and decades down the road, and neither of those are true. The rapture of the church is right around the corner. Two signs that should get you on your high alert status. Number one, the rebirth of Israel, May 14th, 1948. That would be the last generation before the return of Christ. That's one sign. The other sign is lawlessness, rampant lawlessness, men's heart waxing cold, not only disobeying the laws on the books, but making laws that legalize sin. And that's prevalent in America today. Jesus said that they would not, at the time when he comes, that they would not know the time, they would specifically not know the hour when he would come. It would be a stealth maneuver by Christ, not so much that he would hide himself from them, but their heart's view would be hardened by their disobedience and things they normally discern would no longer be visible. Concerning the rapture of the church again, you know, if you do not know his voice now, you're not going to know it. You're not going to recognize it when he calls you. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. But I know his voice because I read my Bible every day. I know his voice because I pray and I talk to him and I repent of any sins that I may commit. So I am training myself now to hear his voice so that when I, he calls me with a shout and the blast of the trumpet at the rapture, I'm familiar with that sound. Many of us are not reading our Bibles. Many of us are not repenting of our sins. Many of us are not endeavoring to talk to him on a regular basis to pray, to build an intimate relationship with him. So when we do get that trumpet sound, when we do get that shout calling us home, we're not going to know what that is. And sadly, you're going to miss the rapture. And sadly yet, as a Christian, you're going to have to go through the tribulation. And there it will cost you your life. Today, it only costs you your time to invest in getting to know him. Then it's going to cost you your life. His presence there will be undetectable. Jesus will be working in them just like he's working in you supposedly now, but you're not going to know it because you're not building that intimate relationship. You're not becoming familiar with his voice. Jesus says, I will come twice in one verse. It's not revealed what he's going to take from them. Don't forget, he's coming as a thief in the night. What, what do people do at night? They sleep. Well, we're not children of the night. We're children of the day. We're not supposed to be sleeping. There's no sleep in heaven. I know we're not there yet. I get it. We need to rest. He's talking about spiritually sleeping, though. But obviously, it's a stern enough message, warning to the church by him that he repeats it twice. I'm going to come, and I'm going to come as a thief in the night. The next verse, thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. I love that. Jesus is no longer talking about works. He's no longer talking about the church in general. He is talking about the people who have not defiled their garments. He's talking about individuals. Saints' clothing is white robes signifying God's righteousness. Obviously, we can defile them. How do we defile them? Sin. So he says, there was a few names in Sardis. Not many. They were not in the majority. The church at Sardis was dead, but there were a few who have not joined in to the sin and whatever it was that they were doing. And how about your church? Your church might be in trouble, but you as an individual don't have to be. And we see that here because Jesus says, okay, there are those who are sinning, the majority, but then there's a few names that have not defiled themselves. And so you could be going to the church that's in trouble, and yet Jesus is saying, I'll recognize the people that are not sinning. I'll recognize the people that are not apostate. I'll recognize the people that are not denying, that are not into false doctrines, that are not being led astray. And what's he going to do for them? He goes, they shall walk with me in white. 
They've not defiled their garments, and the word there, defile, it means to soil or to blacken. It pictures a moral type of soiling, to pollute or to stain or to contaminate. Saints get dirty, but the blood, hallelujah, thank you for the blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Thou hast a few names in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. They shall walk with me in white. And this is great. Remember on the, what was it? The, um, I think it was in Matthew, at the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus and John and Peter and was it James? They went up with Jesus to the Mount and the angels came and they ministered and the voice above that, it said, this is my beloved son, hear he him. I love it. Basically, you know, Peter's up there saying, hey, let's, let's cook out. Let's build an altar. Let's cook. Let's have a tent and let's spend the night. And basically God comes along and says, shut up, Peter. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. That was Ron's version. I'm sure it was a much more holy moment. But the point I'm trying to make is, is that that word for white, they shall walk with me in white. That is the same word used in Matthew 17, 2, when describing Jesus's clothes on the Mount of Transfiguration. And it said it was a white that had never been seen. It was a white that was brilliant, that made real white look dirty. That's the white robe that we're going to be walking in that Jesus is talking about. That's high cotton, guys. The people of Sardis, and this ministered to them because the people of Sardis, they were very rich. They had luxurious wealth. They understood fashion and class and were a proud people in the way in which they dressed and comported themselves. This contrasts the two kinds of dress between those that have defiled their white robes and those that have kept them clean. The people at Sardis in the church would understand that. They shall walk. This phrase, it's in the future tense, and the word is peripateo. In the Greek, it describes a leisurely walk around or a stroll. It could literally mean also to strut. The word with means a partnership. They shall walk with me. They're going to have a leisurely stroll like Adam walked with Jesus in the cool of the evening in the garden. They shall walk with me, and it means you and I, saints of God and Jesus, you are in partnership. It's that kind of relationship with Jesus Christ. Basically, we could paraphrase it like this. In my estimation, Jesus is saying, those who walk with me and have maintained their fire and who are not doctrinally contaminated, you must have correct doctrines from the Bible, who are not doctrinally contaminated are worthy. That's the way Rick Renner says it. Let me read it again. In my estimation, those who walk with me have maintained their fire and who are not doctrinally contaminated are worthy. Those are the people who are worthy. We've already got our white robe of righteousness. Now it's our job to maintain it. Verse 5, he that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his holy angels. And once again, we talk about this in every church. God doesn't give out A's for effort. He doesn't give you a pat on the back. There are no attaboys from Jesus. He expects you to overcome. He's given you the blood. He's given you his name. He's given you the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside you. He's given you his word. He's given you authority. You are equipped to overcome. There is no reason for us not to overcome. It's just settle it. You must be victorious. The Bible says, thanks be to God who always gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. We are expected to overcome. And the word for overcome, it's nikeo, N-I-K-A-O. 
And it's not in the past tense. It's not in the future tense. It is in the present tense. It's an ongoing form of the word, which means you have got to overcome daily. What you overcome on Monday should not come back to bite you on Tuesday. You need to move forward and face Tuesday's battle and overcome them and go on to Wednesday and Thursday. Overcoming is a lifestyle. If we overcome, we get to keep the white raiment that we've already got. You've already got it now. You know, I never knew, according to this, it says here, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name of the book of life. I thought you got saved and your name got written in the Lamb's book of life. No. Your name is already in the Lamb's book of life, and you can get it taken out. But that's what grace does. It puts your name in the Lamb's book of life at the start of your life. Isn't that awesome? But... This is what sin does. If you do not repent of your sin, you run the risk of getting that name blotted out. The word Nikeo, once again, it talks about being in the process of overcoming. It pictures a champion. It pictures a victor. It could be translated as conqueror. I like that. It's used in both an athletic and a militaristic sense. Amen. If we overcome, we get to keep our white robes. And Jesus said, I will not blot out your name out of the book of life. That's the Lamb's book of life. What's most important is what this verse doesn't say, that our names already are written in the Lamb's book of life. Here's where we see the true meaning of grace. Most don't get it. Grace doesn't free us from sin. Grace doesn't mean our sins don't count anymore. Grace doesn't mean we don't need to repent. Grace isn't a get out of jail card. But what it does mean is that we are born not only into this earth, no longer as sinners, But because grace and truth both came by the Lord Jesus Christ, we start off our lives saved. Our names are in the Lamb's book of life. That's the goodness of God. That's what grace has done. Hallelujah. When we try to redefine grace with our carnal minds, we lose the real strength of grace and what Christ has done through it. We have little idea of the true power of the resurrection and what it brought for us, what it accomplished for us, what it did for us. It destroyed death. It emptied out hell, and it placed mankind back in God's good graces. Isn't that fabulous? That's grace. I love it. And it's there for us every day. Hallelujah. We're in the age of grace right now. We've got probably less than a decade left for the age of grace. And then the tribulation. It's a totally different time. It's a totally different era. It's a totally different dispensation. But for now, it's easy to get saved. Because of the grace of God. That's what time it is now. Matter of fact, when John the Baptist came, he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, Repent for the gospel of the kingdom is at hand. When the church leaves, it's going to be the gospel of the kingdom again during the tribulation period. But for now, it's not being preached the gospel of the kingdom. What's being preached is the gospel of the grace of God. Hallelujah. Today, my friends, is the day of salvation. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Grace. Jesus, it destroyed death, it emptied out hell, and it placed mankind back in God's good graces, and that's not the half of it. Satan deceives us to live in the false so as to keep hidden from us the reality of truth. He's doing it today even still. We have no idea what true freedom in Christ looks like because fear stops freedom in its tracks every single time. But Jesus says, I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Whose name? The person that overcometh. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. I will affirm your name in the book of life. That's what he's saying. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Whoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my father, which is in heaven. Hallelujah. 
So basically, Jesus says, if you will overcome, then I'm going to confess your name before my father and before his angels. They're God's angels. I like that. Seed sown, my friends. If you will confess his name now, he will confess our names later when it counts. It's probably a bit different than you may think. To denying or confessing Jesus' name, it can take on many scenarios. Me, refusing to witness sometimes, that's a denial of Christ. It may be interpreted as a denial of Christ in that sense. Me, disobeying him, may also be seen as a denial. Remember, everything in the kingdom of God is an opportunity. People that God sends across your path, I call them gospel-tunities. You have an opportunity to share the gospel, the love and the truth of what Jesus has said and what Jesus has done. We've got endless opportunities arising before us every day, but we've got to be sensitive to his Holy Spirit to identify them. That's the first step. But then we must respond to them and take advantage of them. Otherwise, we're not going to take advantage of the opportunity. We're not going to be able to serve God as we should be. It's all about being spiritually minded. At the beginning of the year in our church, we had come together in our prayer group, our intercessory prayer group, and we were determined, number one, we were going to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. We weren't going to play games. We weren't going to do things out of our flesh. We weren't going to do things that we thought we knew. We were going to wait on God. We are going to wait for His Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in the way that we should go. We were led by the Spirit of God. We know the voice of the Good Shepherd. Hallelujah. And so we were determined that it was going to be the Holy Spirit that was going to lead those prayer meetings, and we were going to be sensitive to that. But that was only part A. Part B then was that we not only were going to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, but we were going to be submissive to the things that he told us to do. If he said, I want you to pray this way about that, we were going to stop what we're thinking. We were going to stop what we thought we knew. And we were going to be sensitive to hear him. And then we were going to be submissive to go ahead and accomplish the things that he told us to do. And that's what we're endeavoring to do in our Bible studies. I not only want to recognize him when he speaks, I not only want to be sensitive to his presence, but I want to be submissive. I want to get it down where he can call me obedient, where he can count on me to do whatever he needs me to do. It's all about being spiritually minded. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace in the Holy Ghost. Romans 8, 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And then verse 6, closing out the book of Sardis. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Yes, this was written to the church at Sardis. And yes, it was passed around to the other six churches in that region as a letter to be read in their services. And yet, it's also written to you and me today. It's written to my church. It's written to your church. Notice it doesn't say, they that has an ear. It says, he that has an ear. This is written to individuals. Yes, it's written to church bodies, but it's also written to you, to me, to Ron Geyer, to Diane Geyer, to my friends, uh, Cameron. It's written to Emma. It's, it's written to Janie and Brian. It's written to Karen sitting across here producing my radio show. It is written to your pastor. It is written to your congregation. It is written to the body of Christ. Hallelujah, the most prominent organization, the most prominent group of people that have ever gotten together, the church of the living God, the body of Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is talking to every person in every church at every time and in every place. It's a pleading command. Please listen is what he's saying. That's why he put this stuff in there. We got two more churches to go. We've got the church at Philadelphia and then we've got the church at Laodicea. And I just want you to know, some people say, well, you know, we're the church at Laodicea, the last end time church. And partly that's right. There's an accent there, but there's also a truth that 
everything about all the churches are represented in all seven of them. That's why Jesus wrote them, because they all apply. Every message to every church applies to every church that we're going through right now that's up and running. So important. I can't think of a more important message out of the Bible that needs to be preached than the way Jesus is dealing with these churches, the way he's loving them, the way he is rebuking them, the way he is offering correction to them, the way he is forgiving them, the care which he has for their spiritual health, the care which he has for their lives, also the threatenings and the dangers that he must warn them about. In some cases, it is he who will have to do drastic action to cleanse the church. But that's what love did. You know, I got whipped as a kid pretty often. You know, me and Ivory Soap had a very close bonding relationship. You know, they threatened to wash my mouth out with soap, and they did. I got the strap when I got home. If I was really bad, I got the buckle. I mean, that's just the relationship that we had. But at the end of the day, man, my folks loved me, and that was one of the ways they showed me how they did love me by disciplining me when I was disobedient. We'll come back next week. Next week, we're going to start again on the church at Philadelphia. I think this was probably God's one of the two favorite churches by Jesus. We love you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net.